Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 200 for Monday, February 11th, 2019. Greetings, folks, and Welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians. Sponsors for this episode include ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash gig gab. We'll talk more about why you want to go there in a few minutes. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you doing today, Mr. Kent? Quite well, Mr. Hamilton. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, you know, dealing with the cold and the warm and the cold and the cold. And, you know, we're just cold out here. I hear that. Now, that the, these terms are relative to our <laughs> locales, not to each other. <laughs> because what so you we're have in, is we were warm. in the 30s this morning, which Ooh. is very cold here. Yeah. And Same. it's been kind yeah. of mid 40s, you know, to 50 has been about a high. Um, We've had like really nasty rain. These atmospheric rivers of two storms like that have come through. And so huh. it's kind of a mess. Wow. It's right about this time of the winter where, you know, you, you start to look ahead and you cannot wait for those outdoor summer gigs, you know, when yes. the weather's nice and, you know, it, it's right now when you kind of the dog days of winter, right? Yeah, totally. Yes, I definitely. I get that too. I was in, um, summer's coming. Summer's coming. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We were, we were over in Burlington, Vermont this weekend. In fact, I have a little story to tell about that, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, there's always we good meaning stuff. the band. Uh, no, uh, Lisa, my wife and my son and I were over in Burlington this weekend. Just, oh, nice. yeah, it's about three hours away. It's not a big deal. We, we just planned a quick, we had a weekend of free where I didn't have any gigs and Luke didn't have any uh, hockey games. And so it was like, let's go somewhere. So we did. Uh, Good for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I've got four gigs coming up this coming week. Four gigs. Uh, all, all like some acoustic, some rock, all rock nope. gigs, all full electric. Nope. Yep. I've got, uh. A house rocker ticketed Valentine's Day gig at that winery we have a deal with. So yep. that's that's one. Then we have our local club here, our monthly gig there. Then we have our local club down at uh, in Santa Cruz out at the ocean. It's our first time there in 2019. And then on Sunday is actually a really important one. Um, this really nice man, wonderful musician named Jack Ordolani recently passed a couple months ago. And Jack was the, actually the piano player in the last Springsteen tribute that I did. Great, great musician. Mm. And the interesting thing about the story, well, not interesting, actually terribly sad, but you know, Jack was not feeling great as we entered into the rehearsals for this. He was late a couple times and he just was saying that he wasn't feeling right. And he actually got diagnosed with cancer about three or four days after the Springsteen gig wow. and immediately started the process. And then sad to share that he passed not long after that he battled, he battled for several months, but um, ultimately he lost that battle. And uh, he was in a band that was, the best band in this Valley for many years, like the top corporate band called the garage band, Mary Ellen, who I mm. sing with now, it was the singer in that band. Uh, and her husband, Tom was a bass player in that band. And Jack was the uh, keyboard player. And they're from Rochester, New York area, Jack and Tom, they really have been like lifelong friends. This really beautiful friendship, musical soulmates, you know, supporters, yeah. buddies, you know, uh, and, you know, Tom was with him until the very end. And Tom has organized this fundraiser. And there's a lot of cats that are going to be playing at this. I mean, and, and Tom and Mary Ellen know everybody. So there's like a guy who, you know, had been 
in the Doobie Brothers for quite a while, Asleep at the Wheel, you know, um, you know, there's some really heavy players that are their connections that are all coming together to do this fundraiser Sunday late afternoon into early evening um, at that local club that we play here called Charlie's. And the money will go to Jack's family to help offset some of the medical bills. So wow, that's, that's the fourth of four and, you know, certainly the most emotional. I was just going to say, that's a kind of a nice, uh, a nice place to put that in the weekend too. That's good. Yeah. 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 That's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, for sure. Well, we got some, uh, we got some more email in uh, about the last episode. Actually, Mike wrote in and said he was listening uh, where we were talking about closing our eyes while performing. He says, when I'm mixing shows, especially when I have a monitor engineer separate, he says, I close my eyes to concentrate on the sound. Having one less sense to deal with heightens my listening sense, he says, or at least I think so. Uh, he says, if I don't have a monitor engineer, he says, I'll balance that with looking at the band. He says, uh, I also don't have the ability to roam as much. He said, taking the iPad with me and relying on Wi-Fi has, has bit me in the past. Yeah, you need to have good Wi-Fi in order to rely on that. But I think, I, you know, thinking back to our conversation last week, I think that's a big part of it when, you know, we were talking about closing our eyes when we're when we're playing or especially when we're singing to really focus on, you know, are we in tune? Is the tone good and all that? And it is. It's that, you know, shut down one sense to focus more on on the others. Is, is you met my, my, my good friend Brad Maddox, right? I did. I, I met him. Uh, yeah. At the Boston Garden of all places. But yeah. Right. So yeah. Brad was my uh, great friend in high school. He was my best man at my wedding. You know, we know each other a long time. He went to Berkeley College of Music and got an uh, audio engineering degree and has been on the road, you know, for many, many years now with some of the best bands in the world. Uh, and quite fortunately for Dave, he is the uh, on con- what is it called? He's on retainer sound guy for Rush for like the past twenty five years. So, yeah. so when Rush came through town, you know, Dave went in and got to see him. But Brad um, is a very well known sound guy. He's toured with many people: Shakira, Nine Inch Nails, um, um, Queensrÿche, Def Leppard for many years. Really interesting acts. Um, Hollywood Vampires. Um, Brad. There's an article with him where he talks about when he does sound check, he needs a moment where, you know, before a lot of craziness happens, he just needs to close his eyes and listen, kind of block everything out and just let all the other senses, yeah. basically his audio sense, uh, you know, be the only thing that he's paying attention to. So I guess that sounds like a good trick for sound guys is to like, don't trust your eyes, trust your ears. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, just, but that, that's a different thing than what I was talking about. I was it, talking it about is. the, yeah. for the performer I, to connect with the audience and not detach too much from the audience. Sure. Sure. But the, I think the closing our eyes is the same sort of thing. It's, you know, shutting down the, those distractions so that we can focus on the thing we're doing. But like, you know, even to Mike's point, you know, if there's somebody you have to look at in his case, if he's mixing monitors, he's got to look at the band. If he, if you're on stage, you've got to look at the audience. You got to balance that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then Mike, um, Mike had an interesting uh, story to share. He says, you're talking about rock musicians doing musicals. He says, a while back, I was doing sound for a musical. He says, we had a famous rock drummer in the pit. Uh, the music director gave the person the sheet uh, music at the first stumble, which is what we call the first get together when, when you're in theater, because it's a stumble through. So, so he gave him the sheet at the first stumble uh, with the changes from the rehearsals. 
And the drummer told the MD, man, I can't read that. I just feel it. So the MD told the drummer, okay, here on measure 16, start feeling it on measure 24, stop feeling it. And so on. He says it was pretty funny to watch, but you know what? The drummer locked on after the stumble and was rock solid all the way through the performances. He says it was really cool to see. He says I was also fun jamming on percussion with the drummer in the pit. Thought you'd appreciate the story. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, and certainly there are some musicals. I don't know which which musical this was where that would totally work. If it's like a, you know, a Rocky Horror or a Spring Awakening or a Hedwig or maybe even something like Tommy uh, where the tunes follow a, you know, feelable format, then that's great. But if it's something like, you know, Next to Normal or West Side Story or New Brain, where the tunes feel like they're going in one direction and then very intentionally take left turns to kind of keep the audience off guard or, you know, to catch the audience off guard or whatever that is, uh, unless you have the tune perfectly memorized, of course, feeling it will get you will not only not work, it'll actually get you into real trouble because, you know, you'll miss those those things where it's like, oh, yeah, after seven bars, we change from a rock groove into a samba thing. It's like, why? I can't imagine trying to memorize pit band music. Yeah. Start, stops, cues, all that type of stuff. It's, it's a lot different than memorizing your show as a cover band or something like that. Totally. I, I watched this guitar player, this guy, Ken, that, that did, um, well, he did Hedwig with us, but he also did Tommy. He filled in for Tommy at the last minute. Cause we had some guitar player problems. And, uh, and it was interesting because he doesn't read, he doesn't sight read. So he can't just bring the book and, and do it cold. If he hasn't memorized great, but um, which he did with something like Hedwig, but for Tommy, where he found out literally the day before he d- he had done it before and he dug into his old charts and he actually he can read well enough to sort of create a roadmap for himself. And it is these things like, well, when this thing happens or when you hear this or when somebody does that, that indicates that this change is coming in two bars or whatever. But um, but yeah, that like it was like, man. And and he couldn't see me or the music director because the way the the stage was built, we and we couldn't see him either. So it was just like this. Okay, well, let's hope this all works, and it mostly did. But um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I would not trust myself to feel a musical. You know, I've done. I think the longest run I've done is a five week run. And certainly by by the end of that, depending on how, you know, how complex the music is, you can start to actually trust yourself. The problem comes in like week two, maybe week three, when you think you know it and you start to trust yourself or sure. you stop reading the music and then you're like, oh, crap. And that actually happened with me and, and Tommy. We were playing. Um, uh, 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 the, the, what's the what's the song of the, the, the eyesight for the eyesight the blind. Right. And and there's uh, like the same riff happening over again. And after the right amount of times, the drums come in with that, you know, and then that happens four times and brings the brings the whole band in. And I, I wasn't paying attention. I thought I knew where I was. I thought I was paying attention and caught myself. But it was too late and did that like two bars early. And our music director looked at me and I was like, yeah, I know. And it was like, okay, you know, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But now what, you know, like, yeah, mea culpa. Right. Yeah. This one's definitely on me guys, but now it's like, okay, think very quickly. How much do we trust everyone in the production? Like these are all pros, right? Okay, cool. They know I just screwed up. 
at least they think they know I just screwed up. If I were to continue and do that for four bars, they would have followed me. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait and come back in where I should. And I did. And everybody followed me. And it was like, okay. Mm. We all, and I, at, at set break or intermission, whatever you're supposed to call it. I, I went up to the, the guy, Michael, who was singing that particular tune. I'm like, dude, thank you. He's like, yeah. He's like, when I heard that, he's like, I thought, am I in the wrong what? spot? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, no, it wasn't you. <laughs> he's like, okay. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so anyway, those things happen. Yeah. Don't feeling in musicals. It's not like playing a rock gig. So even when you're playing songs, you might play on a rock gig. It's not always, well, you know, you not can't, you. what's that? It is in no way, shape or form about you. Well, that's no the part of it. No part of it is. That's right. Well, and that's true for most of it. Yeah. I mean, like Hedwig, it, it was about us, but, but for the most part, no, it's not. And, but also there's, even if it is about you, like, even if the singer screwed up, like we'd, we'd follow them, but it would cause major problems. Right. Cause there's probably sets that are moving people that are moving into position. Like it's a, it's an orchestrated thing. And it all really works best when everybody does things in the right order. Not like no one should be calling audibles, you know, even accidentally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, hey, did you watch the Grammys? Uh, yeah, I wanted to get through our 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 two emails and and then one little thing and then let's talk about the Grammys, shall we? That's fine. Okay, sure. cool. Um, because we got this email about we'd asked who we were talking about the piano player on feeling all right, and we got an email and. Uh, it was a guy named Artie Butler. Um, and I looked up this guy and uh, it's fascinating. Artie Butler is like he was. He was just like a session guy on this. And he must have been the one that came up with this groove. And it it really is kind of the most famous thing he's ever done that is attributed directly to him. But... This dude's done so much. In fact, I was reading through his his like Wikipedia page and uh, and he was the one that came up with the idea, suggested to Louis Armstrong and then arranged what a wonderful world for him. So that wouldn't have happened without Artie Butler, which is pretty amazing. Uh, mm. But he's done a million different things. I mean, it's a crazy thing. So here he was this just this dude, you know, kind of hanging in the back. Uh, uh, behind the scenes pretty much through his entire career, but doing some pretty amazing things. He, um, he co-wrote with uh, Jerry Lieber, a tune called down home girl, which was uh, originally done by Alvin Robinson's Alvin, Alvin Robinson, but, uh, but then covered by the Rolling Stones, which is the version I always knew of that tune. But, um, but yeah, man, it's just, so it's fascinating how these people sort of like come out. And this guy was a wrecking crew guy. Oh, I don't think he was wrecking crew. I think he was just um just a session dude. Yeah, session dude uh in it looks like in New York City and uh and working a lot like a with, Ten Pan Alley, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was um Bell Sound Studios was where he first cut his teeth working with Lieber and Stoller actually or met them there and then just, you know, like anything, once you once you get a little bit of cred, uh, you know, pick up the phone when it rings, kind of thing, <laughs> and and watch where it takes you. And it looks like sure. that's what happened with this guy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. So yeah, thanks for sending that in. All right. Good stuff. So that's it. That is, yeah, man. I want to take a minute and talk about our first sponsor here, and then we'll talk about the Grammys. Does that yeah. work for you, man? Yeah, yeah sweet. Oh. Our first sponsor today is ExpressVPN. Listen, as musicians. 
we're out in lots of different places, right? We're in different clubs. We're in coffee shops. We're in restaurants. We're in big venues, small venues. And one thing is in common with all of them these days, and that's they all have Wi-Fi, but they all aren't places that like technology is necessarily the top priority. So usually even at some of these bigger places, it's like one person that set up the Wi-Fi and manages it. And it might not be the most secure thing in the world. And when I say might not be, that's like 99% of the time. And when you're out there and you're hooking up your laptop and you're spending a lot of time in these venues, you know, between sound check and the gig or hanging out during the day, maybe at the coffee shop next door, you want to make sure that whatever you're doing online, wherever you are, is secure, encrypted and protected. And that is what ExpressVPN can do for you. ExpressVPN is a VPN, which means they create on your computer or on your phone, your tablet, whatever, an encrypted tunnel between you and the outside world. So whoever set up that Wi-Fi can't see what you're doing. Whoever's on that Wi-Fi can't see what you're doing, even if that Wi-Fi is set up in a very insecure way. And that's super important these days. It just sets up this tunnel and ExpressVPN takes care of making sure that no one knows what you're doing, how you're doing it, where you're connecting. Everything you do is private. And that's what you want. And it's less than seven bucks a month. And I don't we've used it like it is my favorite VPN service. And I'm actually really happy that I can say that because I've tried it and it's awesome. Uh, but it's not just my favorite Tech Radar rated it their number one VPN service too, and it comes with a money back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies or anybody else from happening to see your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. So you can protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash giggab. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash G-I-G-G-A-B. For three months free with a one-year package, visit expressvpn.com slash giggab to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Now, you mentioned the Grammys, Mr. Kent. <laughs> I want to say thanks to ExpressVPN, too, because it's great service and great people. So we're honored to have them as a sponsor on our show. It's great that they're part of what we're doing here. It is. It's really, it's a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we've heard from some of you who are using it, too. It's fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. So Grammys, man, it was... Uh, I'm not a big fan of any of the award shows. It's not just a thing that grabs me anymore. My wife loves them. She, she, not the Grammys though, but um, the Grammys are an interesting thing because, you know, there's a vibe that comes out of the Grammys this year. It seemed like there was a really intentional um, subversion of rock influences in favor of, you know, hip hop and rap and, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, to me, that is a reminder that um, the Grammys are, are a machination of a music industry that will always go where the money is. There's no interest in the art. I just, you just, you can't say right. that. And, yeah. and the most interesting part of all this is this, is this juxtaposition. I thought, and many people, uh, you know, it was on quite a bit of social media today that the most memorable performance was by Brandi Carlisle, a singer songwriter with a real band singing her own songs, you know, not a, you know, contrived, you know, rap, you know, R&B expression. It was a band and a songwriter. And, and uh, that was the most memorable performance. So, you know, for us as musicians, it is a wonderful reminder that that, that, that 
tact of expro- of expressing art, you know, through playing an instrument and singing, uh, you know, is still one of the most fundamentally moving things that a human being can do, you know, or can receive. Um, that was just proven out on all this, despite, you know, all the efforts to, to downplay the interest in rock and roll. Um, you know, you had a band that, you know, really outshone the, you know, pairing up different hip hop artists, R&B artists and, you know, yeah, that was really interesting. But I do think that there's a, a very loud message that came out of that, that, um, you know, the, the best rock album wasn't even on the televised show. And, you well, know, so all, it, it's, all the rock car- categories were presented off the air before the broadcast. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's crazy to me. Like, like you said, but it's you a follow choice. the money. Right. That's right. It's a choice. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, it's not an accident. So, Did you know that, um, uh, you know, Vinnie Paul, the drummer for Pantera, wasn't included in the in memoriam section, which I think is kind of crazy. Oh, wow. Huh? Yeah. I, wow. That, yeah, that's interesting. Huh? So yep. their eye is not on the ball when it comes to rock and roll, but I don't really understand how this all works. Because again, if you look every year at the top grossing tours, meaning who's spending the most money, it's all these classic rock tag. It's always Springsteen, U2, you Rolling know, Stones. the Eagles. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so I don't really, I guess on a day-to-day basis, the people buying the 99 cent songs you know, it must be the target market who the Grammys care the most about or the record companies maybe still have those relationships with those artists and they make the most money off of them right at that apex before that initial contract, you know, turns into something that the artist then, then controls. So maybe, maybe you know, that that's where the money is. You, you understand what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Springsteen sure. writes his own ticket and he can tour and he can keep his money. And, you know, that's what he doesn't need the record company for that. But I think that there are all, a lot of artists that, um, you know, they get their first deal and, and, uh, and again, this is absolutely subjective information is what I'm assuming. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, they're selling records and they're working on their, on their cult of personality and they get to that point before they're big enough to control their own destiny. And it's the last chance that their record companies can make, you know, big money on one last tour or, you know, or control the, the terms of the record deal or, or anything like that. So I wonder if that's the levers that are being pulled as to why, you know, the, the record companies invest more into, well, into the up and coming. Yeah. Let's think about this, right? Because it, we know that these days um, people don't make money off of record sales like they at least not like they used to. There's there is some money to be made, of course. Right. But uh, by and large, you know, record companies won't sign just record deals anymore. They sign what they call these 360 deals where the record company becomes your promotion partner in everything that you do. And they take a piece of everything that you do, including your tour revenue. It used to be that they took a huge piece of your record sales. And then, you know, you basically, (laughs) you toured to pay them back. You toured to pay them back. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. But you know, if you did that well, you could really, you know, clean up. And now that's where the money is. And of course, you know, ticket prices, even, I mean, just in 30 years, like the price of an album hasn't really changed that much. You know, may, maybe an album was eleven ninety nine for an album now. Yeah. It was it was it eight ninety nine or something yeah. like 30, 30 years, years ago. Yeah. yeah. So it's gone up, you know what? 50, let's say it's gone up 50 percent and, and it's it hasn't. But let's say it has. Well, concert tickets were also eight ninety nine 30 years ago um, <laughs> and they are not eleven ninety nine now unless you're adding a couple of decimal points and it you know, you're calling it twelve hundred bucks to go see the Rolling Stones or whoever it is. Right. So that's where the money is. And I just pulled up a, a list of of uh, billboards, box score charts that that show that the 
years the the year's revenue uh from November 2017 to October 2018 and um it uh it was Ed Sheeran was number 1, Taylor Swift, Beyoncé and Jay-Z, Bruno Mars, Pink, Justin Timberlake, U2, The Rolling Stones, Kenny Chesney, Journey and Def Leppard. That's the first 10. Then in the remaining 15, the the Eagles are there, Foo Fighters are there, Billy Joel's there, Harry Styles is there. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is there, which is really interesting to see. Um, Jay-Z makes a second appearance. It's number 25 on his own. Every Luke Bryan's in there. Uh, Every single one of these are bands playing on stage. The one where I was going to say Depeche Mode, you could sort of argue that it's like, you know, there's there's more sequenced than not. But I don't actually think that's true. But it's still it's a nostalgia act at this point. Right. For Depeche Mode. Mm -hmm. Um Every single one of these top grossing tour is musicians playing on stage in some way, shape or form, whatever music people want to hear. Like, there you go. And yet that's not what the Grammys are acknowledging. It's, it's fascinating to me. It's also weird because that, that demographic that it seems like that is targeted to, they don't watch television. Right. That's just a good point. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. 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 So, I guess the video that comes from it, you know, ends up being a promotional thing that, has some value, but you know, that, 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 those are the core things to me is that it was a clear conscious statement that the music industry is the Grammy organization and the levers that pull that um, are, are sending a message about rock that is interesting. Yet the most impactful performance was Brandy Carlisle's, which was, you know, maybe not, maybe not a true rock musician, but a singer songwriter yeah. playing instruments herself, along with a band playing instruments themselves. And, uh, and that was the yeah, most, to me, that's rock and roll moment. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, like, I mean, you could call it whatever you want, you know, genre wise, but I mean, it's yeah. People playing music. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Live musicians. So, yeah. Um, I, I had an interesting experience uh, a couple of Saturdays ago. We had the TV on and it was basically just rolling us through episodes of Daryl's house while we were, you know, eating lunch and then cleaning the house or whatever. I love that show so much. It's so good. And, you know, I was I, I'm I like that starting a few years ago, they opened it up a little bit more, maybe when they moved to the new place. But you get to see more of the prep time that happens mm. as opposed to, you know, you used to get 10 seconds of, hey, OK, cool. Let's play the song. And then you they play. This, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but now you get you get maybe three minutes of that or four minutes of that, which I mean, certainly there's way more than that that goes in, as we all know. But, you know, seeing that is really interesting, especially, you know, as a as a musician and a student of the craft. And he had Kenny Loggins on and. It was so interesting. They were they were going through. Um, I mean, he played lots of his hits and lots of Daryl's hits or whatever. But as he was going through like the beginning of Footloose or, or as they were prepping for Footloose, it was fascinating to see how meticulous Kenny Loggins was. Now, the way Daryl's house, the show works, the band gets together without the star. I mean, Daryl's there, but, you know, without the the, the guest, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, the the day before or at some point, you know, in the week before and learn the tunes that they're going to do so that they come in knowing the songs. They don't actually have to learn them on the spot, but they always, you know, then talk about it with the artist. And that way they're at least talking about it from a, you know, a foundation of understanding. It's like, Oh no, we'll switch this. You sing that. Okay, cool. But everybody sort of knows what parts exist. Well, Kenny Loggins came in and, and with footloose, he was like very meticulously talking about harmonies and stuff. And then he sat there with the drummer and was like, oh, yeah, no, you got to understand the way the intro works. He says the kick drum and the, the snare work very carefully together. 
and they follow the guitar riff. And I've played this song countless times, right? You know, and I've never thought about this. And it was just fascinating to watch him. And and the drummer was the same way. You know, he was like, oh, oh, that makes so much more sense. He's like, glory that, days. that glory drives days. it. Yeah, gl- <laughs> right. Glory days. That Right. That kind of a thing. And it's like, yeah, it follows here. And oh, holy crap. And it like opened, you know, and the same was true with Mama Don't Dance, like, he was very particular about how each turnaround. It's not, they're not garage band songs. They're, they actually, even though they are cover band staples, yes. the thing that made them what they are, are the little subtleties that were either, you know, done in production or done at, at inception, whatever it is. But that, that's always really interesting is, is that when you really dig into a song again, we've had this conversation yeah. here many times, like there are some songs you can do anything to, and they're just so familiar and they're so catchy. The hook is so good. It wins no matter what almost what any bit cover band does to it sonically, you know, form wise, right. you know, key but there's wise, a reason it, it got there in the first yes, place. Right? And, right. and that's what, and it was so clear watching this, that Kenny Loggins is one of those perfectionist songwriters, like some, and, and I, and there's no judgment on from me anyway, on either side of this, like I've worked with perfectionist songwriters. I've worked with non-perfectionist songwriters you know, some folks are like, okay, that's like the four chords and the truth. Here's the melody. Okay, cool. We're good to go. Right. Let's go. And let's just play it and let the song evolve as it, you know, as the band sort of plays it or even over time. And then there's guys clearly like Kenny Loggins. I think Glenn Fry and Don Hanley are this way where it's just, you know, constant revision and iteration mm. and iteration. And, and then, you know, he gets to a point where the song is finished, And I know that it's done and I know that it's perfect and there's no reason to overthink it because I've already done that. I overthought the crap out of it and here we are. It's perfect. And so even now, whatever, you know, decades later, he's teaching somebody the song and it's like, nope, we just do it this way. This is the right way. You know, this is the song. There's no like, let's have fun with it. No, 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 no. We already have. We will have fun with it because this (laughs) song is awesome. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Right. Yeah. And and he wasn't a jerk about it or anything. He was very nice and friendly and cordial and all of that stuff. But he just knew how this song was supposed to go. And he was very comfortable with that. And it was just fascinating watching. Yeah. The other thing, man, you know, Daryl Hall talk about a student of the art. Daryl Hall, one of the guests that I saw was um, L. King, right? She's that uh, mm-hmm. younger woman uh, singer, has that song X's and O's, right? It was, mm-hmm. was her big hit. And she was- Rob Schneider's daughter. Is that Bob Schneider's daughter? Rob Schneider. Rob SNL. Schneider. Okay. Different, yeah. uh, different Bob. Okay. Huh. I had no idea. Huh. Fascinating. Um, she, um, they were sitting and eating like they do on the show, you know, having whatever food was cooked for them or they cooked or whatever it was. And- uh, chit-chatting and and she was saying yeah it's just weird you know this song's like now the nfl picked it up and there's these things she said i never thought when i was writing this song that you know would 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 sort of transcend this audience that i thought i had into this thing that's now you know career making and daryl was like immediately on it he's like well you gotta understand he's like that song he's like when i first heard that song it's like i knew it would be a hit because it has like familiar elements. He's like, the verse sounds like it's something from the forties. It's like the chorus is more modern. Like today, the transition between the two is done really well. And he sort of described how, you know, how he perceives it. And it was clear that like why Daryl Hall and John Oates were the hit factory that they were because they understood. He's like, that's the key to making a a, a hit song. He's like, you got to find something that's yours, but sounds familiar and people can catch on to it right away. He's like, and that's how you make a hit. 
And it was just like, oh, whoa, like, you know, the grandfather of hit making here, just dissecting this thing <laughs> on the spot while he's like, you know, chewing down some poblano peppers or something. And um, <laughs> and it was just interesting, you know, just matter of fact, he's like, oh, yeah, well, that of course it was a hit. This is why. But that's the whole magic of Daryl's house, right? It's, it's right. You know, even though yep. and I didn't know that they walked in the day before and and, uh, and learned the songs. Yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, this this, uh, you know, at the end of the day, a song is a song and there's instruments that, you know, are played and and uh, those instruments have chords. And, and, uh, and you know, these are. These are real organic things that um, that you put people in a room and you can reproduce this. And the dissection of it is like is like going to college. It's like, you know, it's 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 a it's a lesson unto itself. Hall is um, my understanding. Again, I think he's an incredible songwriter. He's an extra incredible singer with that range. Oh, he's an soulful, extra incredible. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like he is blue eyed soul. Yep. And, um, you know, his understanding his true love and respect for the Philadelphia artists, you know, the Delphonics and, you know, those yeah. types of things, those kind of, you know, first generation soul um, bands from the sixties, early seventies um, is really remarkable. I understand he's a, a bit of a prickly personality. He's like difficult, but maybe you don't get one without the other. Maybe you he know. knows when he's right. Well, like, I, I think that's yeah. what it is. Right. You know, um, right is right. Right is right. Yeah. And and when yeah. you know it, you know it. And he's willing. Yeah, I think he doesn't suffer fools. I think nope. I think, um, you know, uh, but man, has he given us some amazing gifts. And, and I think this show is a gift in itself because it is literally like you're taking great stars from almost every era that's been on the show. And some of their, you know, Hallmark hits are, it's, that could be you in that garage, right? Just yeah. recreating all this stuff and just seeing how that's put together to me is one of the most remarkable things. It My favorite so episode accessible. was the one with Joe Walsh. That, that was, that was another one that was on the rotation that day. Yeah. 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 And Joe, it, you know, I, like he, clearly he and Daryl Hall respect each other. I mean, I think that's true. Of most of the people that show up For there. Sure. Yeah. And it was, it's fascinating watching, especially watching the two of them like sing and harmonize together and figure out all that stuff. Cause you know, Daryl Hall, like you said, fantastic singer, Joe, I, he's also a fantastic singer, but he's also an Eagle, you know, like that gives you harmony cred right out of the gate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, the thing that, the thing that that show drives home to me like, like that's the greatest cover band going, right? I mean, they're basically taking <laughs> yeah. any song and it's five guys in a room, six guys in a room, and they're recreating, you know, these amazing things that you hear in the radio. And it sounds kind of like what you hear on the radio. And that really is the goal. So for all of us who are cover band musicians, when you think good enough is what you're going to get, you that show reminds you what's possible. Like what's possible if you, if you mix carefully, what's, what's, possible yeah. if you pay attention to your sounds what's possible if you pay attention to your dynamics in a little you know rehearsal room that type of thing now i get it it's 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 mixed before it goes out to us i totally understand that yes. however they are playing those instruments and that, you know that is a that is a real-time experience that you're seeing yeah, and it was a miserable thing yeah you know like you rehearse with us it's crazy loud and you kind of survive our you know a house rocker rehearsal right you're not hearing really everything you're just kind of you're, you know, that, that's you're unique to you guys. Every other rehearsal I have sounds good. <laughs> I'm just going to point that out. I, I, I reject the premise that that's how it has to be. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but you know, that, that's, I think the real value in Daryl's house is that, you know, as a musician, it is, it is a, uh, a, a live laboratory where you get to yeah. see how great songs are deconstructed and, you know, 
that uh, the conversations between the musicians are not a whole lot different than the conversation you and I would have about you totally. know, how we're going to play. Oh, the it's song. the how same. The song. Yeah, it's the same. It's I just it. one of us is Kenny Loggins in in that scenario. Yeah, 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 that's right. And the other one is not playing with Kenny Loggins. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's interesting that I mentioned I was in Burlington this weekend. Sort of bring it all around. We wound up just going out for brunch at this place we've been before. It's it's called place called the Skinny Pancake. It's a, a crepe place, and. uh and they have a stage there and we were eating a late breakfast. It was we were about 1130 by the time we got our food or whatever. And we hung out and this band band uh, uh, bluegrass. It was bluegrass Sunday. This band from Asheville, North Carolina, of all places, was there called Hoot and Holler. And it's a, 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 a duo and they are young. I mean, probably in their, you know, maybe 20s, maybe 30s kind of thing. Maybe they're older than that. I don't know. But um they were, you know, like definitely classic bluegrass people. They they were not pretending, regardless of their age. These are bluegrass folks, and uh, and I've had the pleasure to play with some bluegrass folks and uh, over the years, and and um, and these people were, you know, the two of them were right there. But it it was fascinating because you know bluegrass is is very much rooted in acoustic instruments mm-hmm. and. Uh, mostly the that was a, a man and a woman the guy played uh guitar the woman played fiddle they switched around she played guitar at one point he played banjo uh, but the really interesting and they both sang and they had one microphone uh mm. no instruments were mic'd everything was acoustic they just had one big mic in the middle of the uh in the middle of the stage and they understood their instruments and their sound so well that they knew how close to the mic to be at any point in time during the performance. If one of them had like a little, you know, riff or a run to play, they would get their fiddle or guitar closer to the mic so that it, you know, it amplified properly. Harmonies were blended by, you know, both singing volume and distance to the mic, but you're not just blending harmonies with other harmonies. You're blending harmonies with instruments and all of that. And it was exactly like you were just saying, like truly understanding how your instrument sounds and how your and, and that includes your voice, right? And and how it all blends together. And they were doing it obviously in real time. And they played some, you know, bluegrass standards, but they also had some tunes they wrote. And, you know, kind of to Daryl Hall's point, like there was this one tune that they played. It was like, oh wow, this is great. I'm surprised I've never played this song before. And uh and they announced at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, that's one of our originals. And it was like, whoa, that sounds like mm-hmm. a tune you've heard. It's like, oh, they've tapped into it. Like, this is good. This is good. They know what they're doing. So, yeah, yeah. Very cool. I, I find that with, remember, we had the Coffus Brothers. Yeah. <clears throat> I find that out with a lot of their songwriting. It just, it connects to a certain sound and tone and their hooks are really good. And, and I'm like, did I, have, have I heard this before? And that's it's just, key. It's, yep. yeah. And now you're in. Yeah. Now you're in. That's exactly it. Yep. Now you're in. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. So I'll put a link to them in the, uh, in the show notes too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good to, always good to see. In fact, maybe we'll get in touch with them and see, see if they'll talk to us about, uh, life on the, on the road, you know, doing what they do. Cause I think they're just doing a, uh, like a tour of the Eastern seaboard here. So they, they left what must be warmer Asheville, North Carolina to come up to very, very cold and windy (laughs) Burlington, Vermont. So (laughs) yeah, cool. 
Well, that's what I got for this week. Do you have anything else, man? No, good stuff. We took a we took quite a ride this week, Dave. We've taken quite a ride over the last 200 episodes, my friend. That is very true. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your feedback. That like it is so awesome to hear from you. And I I really mean that. So feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We would love to hear more from you. Uh it really is what keeps us going. It it aims us in the right direction. You let us know what you like. Send in your tips, your your questions, your thoughts, anything you find cool instruments, you know, different stuff. You and I, you and I need to revisit our Christmas lists because I have a feeling both of us might be using some things that were on them. So we will do that in a future episode, but, uh, yes, there you go. So thanks for listening folks. And, uh, and we will see you again, uh, next time. Always be performing. Always. That's what else to do. Why, uh, why not? Right. Nothing better. Have a good one. See you next week. Thanks, Paul. Bye.